God, as we come to your word now, pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit that I might serve with the strength that he supplies. May my words not come from me, but Lord, would I speak as one speaking the very oracles of God. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would fill my brothers and sisters here in this room and any who aren't able to be with us in person on, on the live stream. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work, bring illumination to our minds and our hearts about the truthfulness of what you have written in your word. Um, and Lord, I, I pray that, Lord, he would take your word and show us the, the significance of this word for our lives, how, how we need to change and grow and grow closer to Jesus through your word. Lord, work at this time. Speak at this time. Use this for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing today in our series through 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is about doctrine and devotion, both for the local church and for the individual Christian. And the last two weeks, we looked at the first two verses of 1 Timothy, and we saw that the message of this letter is a message that we need to receive. Uh, it's a message that comes to us by God's authority. God commanded that Paul would be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and that apostle wrote this book. Uh, this book came to us because the Holy Spirit carried along Paul to write these words. And so we hear God's word when we read and study these words. Uh, it's a message that comes by God's authority. It's also a message for God's people. Paul wrote personally to Timothy, uh, but he also had in mind the whole church in Ephesus where Timothy was ministering. And, and furthermore, this book contains universal principles for all churches, for all time. And we saw last week that the words of 1 Timothy are not just for people, for those people in that culture. Uh, this is a message for us today. It's a message for God's people. And then finally, it's a message from God's generosity. Be before we hear what we need to believe and what we shouldn't believe, before we hear what we need to do and what we don't need to do, God wants us to know that he has grace, mercy, and peace in Christ for us. And so we should listen to the message of this book because it comes from a generous God. Well, today we're beginning a new section of 1 Timothy that gets to the heart of the pastoral burden that led Paul to write this letter. In 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7, uh, Paul addresses the situation that prompted him to write at that time. He tells Timothy what he wants him to do, and he explains why these things are so important. So to begin, let's read 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7 together. Uh, this morning, we're just going to focus on the first part of this section, but we'll go ahead and read the whole passage for context. And since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of the Lord Jesus himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. 
nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. I've titled this sermon, The Danger of Different. The Danger of Different. Now, sometimes different can be a good thing. In a stack full of resumes, it might be a good thing for yours to be different because that might mean that you stand out from the pack. Uh, Apple had a famous slogan years ago, think different. When you think different, that can lead to innovation and creativity. So sometimes different is a good thing, but other times different is not so good. Uh, For instance, have you ever heard someone respond to you by saying, well, that's different. Maybe you uh, made something and showed it to them and they say, well, that's different. Or you're trying to come up with an idea and you gave a suggestion and the response was, well, that's different. I hate to break it to you, that was not a compliment. (laughs) Sometimes different is downright dangerous. Uh, The other day, I was trying to adjust the wall plate of one of our outlets uh, at the house, and I have been told over and over, anytime you're working with something electrical, you should always switch off the breaker first. But I took a different approach, and not 30 seconds into my little project, I touched the wrong thing, and a wave of electricity shot out my arm. Different can be dangerous. And the danger of different in 1 Timothy 1 is the danger of different doctrine. The danger of different doctrine goes beyond physical danger, it is also spiritually dangerous. Different doctrine is dangerous not just in this life. The danger of different doctrine is a danger with eternal significance. And so Paul wants Timothy to correct the different doctrine that has emerged in the church in Ephesus. He wants Timothy to replace that different doctrine with The doctrine that comes from God. He wants Timothy to replace it with the doctrine that is true and reliable. The doctrine that can actually redeem souls. The doctrine that results in lives of love for God and love for neighbor. And so the message that I want us to hear in these verses is this. Devote yourself to the doctrine that comes from God. Devote yourself. To the doctrine that comes from God. Well, what does it look like to do this? What does it look like to devote ourselves to the doctrine that comes from God? Uh, like I said, we're just going to look at uh, one aspect of what that looks like today, and uh, we'll look at more 
Lord willing, next week. But if you are going to devote yourself to the doctrine that comes from God, first you must reject the speculative for the saving. Reject the speculative for the saving. Look with me at verse 3 again. Paul says to Timothy, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So this was not the first time that Paul had urged Timothy to rebuke those who were teaching different doctrine. Sometime after the events of the book of Acts, Paul was traveling to Macedonia, and he told Timothy to deal with these false teachers. And so here he is repeating this exhortation to Timothy. The emergence of false teaching in Ephesus certainly would have been discouraging to Paul, but it would not have come as a surprise to him. Paul had spent three years of his life ministering to the church in Ephesus, helping this church in the early days of its life together. And when he gave his farewell address to the Ephesian elders after his three years um, there with them, he says in Acts 20, verses 29 and 30, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So despite the fact that Paul had spent three years teaching them the full counsel of God, he expected false teachers were going to arise in Ephesus. And that's not just something that would happen in Ephesus. This is something that the church will struggle with all throughout this age. Uh, In 1 Timothy, Paul is going to go on to say in chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. In another one of the pastoral epistles, in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We need to hear what these verses are saying. You might hear... That this passage is about dealing with false teachers and think, well, that's not a message for my church. I mean, we're, we're serious about sound doctrine. And by God's grace, I believe God has brought us to a point where we really are healthy when it comes to doctrine. But if it could happen in Ephesus, in a church essentially founded by the Apostle Paul? How much more could it happen in any other church? The warnings that we just read in 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 4 should help us understand that there is a constant pull toward false doctrine. 
until Jesus returns, we are going to be tempted to depart from the faith. Until Jesus returns, we are going to struggle to endure sound teaching. Until Jesus returns, we are going to be tempted to go find teachers who only tell us what we want to hear. We are going to be tempted to stop listening to the truth. So don't think that this passage and Paul's correction of false doctrine is only relevant for churches that are just filled with false doctrine. Even if we are a church that is full of sound doctrine, where there's not false teaching being spread, this is still a message that we need to hear and pay close attention to. Paul urged Timothy to give a charge to uh, certain teachers. And, and the fact that he says this was only for certain persons tells us not all of the teachers in Ephesus were false teachers. That's good news. But nevertheless, nevertheless, the fact that they were teaching within the church tells us they, they had been given a platform. Uh, these false teachers likely held leadership positions within the church in Ephesus. And, and in any case, these certain persons were in danger and those under their influence were likewise in danger. Paul says the problem with these certain persons was that they were teaching different doctrine. Well, what is it about this doctrine that was different? Flip over to 1 Timothy 6, 3, and let's see how Paul describes different doctrine there. 1 Timothy 6, 3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Different doctrine is that which, first of all, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Anything that is different from the teachings of Jesus is a false doctrine. And that includes not only his teachings that we have recorded in the Gospels, it also includes the teachings that he gave through his authorized representatives, the apostles, like Paul. A different doctrine is also that which does not accord with godliness. Any teaching that leads to something different than devotion to Jesus is false doctrine. And we'll see as we walk through this letter that the different doctrine being taught in Ephesus was producing anything but godliness. So, but returning to chapter 1, Paul gets more specific about the problem of this different doctrine in verse 4 when he says, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So here he says the false teachers were enamored with myths, legends, fables. Uh, in chapter 4, we're going to see that he calls these irreverent, silly myths. Uh, the teachers were also focused on genealogies uh, or family trees. I think of the, the long lists of begats in the Bible. As 1 Timothy unfolds, Paul explains that much of this different doctrine stems from a mishandling of the Old Testament, and specifically the law of Moses. So these myths were likely fictional tales about obscure characters in the genealogies of the Old Testament. But, but all of this focus on myths and genealogies promoted speculations. These teachers weren't satisfied 
with the narratives of the Old Testament, the accounts of how God actually worked throughout history, they weren't satisfied with what God gave us on the page. They wanted something more. And you can imagine how this might happen. Uh, Genesis 5, 24, and one of the genealogies tells us about Enoch, who walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Well, what was it like for God to take him? Where did God take him? Why did God take him? What was Enoch's walk with God like? What's the secret to walking more like Enoch? Or consider another example. It, right there in the same passage, Genesis 5.27 tells us about Enoch's offspring, Methuselah, who lived 969 years, the longest recorded human life in the Bible. What was Methuselah's secret to living so long? Why was he chosen to be given so many years? How can I be more like Methuselah? When our curiosity gets the best of us, if we're not careful, we can end up wandering off into speculations. And speculation does nothing to help us understand God's word. Speculation does nothing to help us love God and love neighbor. At the end of the day, speculation is useless. Now, you, you may not be tempted to devote yourself to myths or genealogies, but there are plenty of other ways to give into speculation in our day. Uh, you may even hear preachers and teachers advocating for that which is speculative, as if they're speaking the truth of God. But whether you're hearing someone else or you're just considering your own thoughts, you need to ask yourself, is this coming from Scripture or is this coming from speculation? Let's consider a few examples. Some people like to speculate about signs of the times. Something happens in Israel. Is this a sign of the time? Something happens in culture. Is this a sign of the time? Something happens in the weather. Is this a sign of the time? But what's Ironic about that is what we've already seen today in 2 Timothy 4 is that an actual sign of the times, according to Scripture, is people spending more time speculating about signs of the times instead of reading their Bible and telling people about Jesus. That's one way you might speculate. You may be tempted to speculate about God's will for a specific person, maybe yourself or someone else. Uh, there's a whole lot of speculation that revolves around uh, the idea of calling. Uh, many people speculate about what specific job or mission God is calling them to. Uh, they look for a sense of certainty about God's secret will for them. But ultimately, it's just speculation about something that God has not clearly spoken about. I've also, on this, in the same vein, I, I, I've heard a, a very well-known preacher uh, talk a lot about promises from God that are not in the Bible. 
He'll talk about embracing promises, remembering promises. But if you actually listen carefully to what he's saying, he's not talking about the promises that God made in Scripture. He's talking about something that God has promised you privately. But ultimately, it's just speculation. You may speculate about the future. You may try to discern circumstances and signs in order to gain a sense of confidence about what outcome to expect or a a given situation. Well, you know, I I saw that that was happening, and so I think this will probably turn out this way. And, And, you know, you can really get your hopes up with speculations like that. But at the end of the day, it is just speculation. Many people speculate about what God may speak outside of Scripture. And I'll just tell you, we need to be really careful when it comes to saying things like, God told me this, or God said I should do that. Now, now to be clear, the Holy Spirit often brings Scripture to mind. The Holy Spirit often gives deeper illumination about passages of Scripture, or he'll prompt us with how the written Word of God applies to a given situation. But when it comes to an idea that's not in Scripture, that Scripture does not address, we need to be very, very cautious. How can you know that that idea in your head really came from God and it wasn't just your imagination? How can you know that that wasn't something you ate last night? How can you know, even if it might not be your sinful flesh deceiving you? If it's not written in Scripture, we cannot be sure that God said it. And so we're left to speculate. What we need to realize is that speculations are no substitute for scripture. Speculations cannot sustain you in your deepest suffering. Speculations cannot give you hope in the face of death. Speculations cannot transform your life. Speculations cannot change eternity. What we need is the absolute black and white rock solid truth of God. We need the God-breathed scriptures which are profitable for teaching and correction and reproof and training in righteousness. We need the God-breathed scriptures to make us complete and equipped for every good work. What God has given us in his word is authoritative and inerrant and hope-giving and life-changing and unrivaled and sufficient. Meaning, you don't need speculations. You have everything you need in Scripture. By devoting themselves to the speculative, the legendary, these teachers were leaving behind what Paul describes as the stewardship from God. And what he's encouraging Timothy is to say, tell them to stop with the speculations and come back to the stewardship of God. Uh, that word stewardship is a rich word. Uh, it can have a, uh, 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 the sense of a, a plan uh, or something that's entrusted to someone else to manage. 
And, and when we look at the context of 1 Timothy and when we look at how Paul uses this word in other writings, uh, it seems that he actually has both meanings in mind, a plan and something entrusted to another. Uh, the stewardship of God clearly has to do with God's plan to save his people that he has been accomplishing throughout the course of history. And God has entrusted the, the message of this plan to the apostles and the prophets to manage, so to speak, to, to make known to the people of God. So let me just give you some examples of, of, of how we arrive at, at that conclusion. Paul, in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, uses the same word when he talks about how God has made known the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan, stewardship, for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. So we see that this stewardship is God's plan of redemption. Uh, Paul also wrote in Colossians 1, 25 and 26 that as a minister of the church, uh, or that he was a minister of the church according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So the stewardship is not only God's plan of redemption worked out throughout history, it's also something that was entrusted to the apostles to make known. And if you're there in 1 Timothy 1, just look down at verse 11. This stewardship is the same idea that Paul describes here as the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. The stewardship of God is the revelation of God's plan of redemption which he has made known through his apostles and prophets in the scriptures. And yet, the false teachers in Ephesus chose the mythological and left behind the historical. They chose the speculative and left behind the certain. They chose the useless and left behind that which saves. Just Think of what God has given us in his word. God has given us the unfolding of his purposes for the world. He's given us his promises fulfilled in Christ, his mysteries revealed in the gospel. He's given us his salvation to be received by faith. He's given us his plan to redeem all of creation. God has given us truth that can actually change your eternity. He's given us truth that can transform our hearts. He's given us real grace, real mercy, real peace. And he's given us a certain hope and a love like the world has never known. Why would anyone leave behind the stewardship of God? Myths can fascinate your imagination, but they cannot forgive your sins. Genealogies can pique your curiosity, but they cannot change your life. Speculations may make you think that you have answers to your questions, but they cannot help you hear from God. What you need is the stewardship of God that Paul says is by faith. What you need is not speculation about the mythological. What you need is faith in God's plan of redemption. You need confidence in his certain purposes. And let's just consider a few examples of the difference between speculating about what is uncertain and faith in the revelation of God's plan of redemption that he's made known through his apostles and prophets in the scriptures. Maybe today you are burdened by 
guilt over sin in your past. You try not to think about it too much, but you can't get over that nagging memory of what you did. You could speculate about how to get over that guilt. You know, maybe, maybe if enough time passes, the feeling will go away. Or maybe if, if, you, if you commit your life, the rest of your life, to, to doing good, maybe you'll make up for what you did. Or, or maybe, maybe if you could just determine that there was a purpose in what you did, that mistake that you made, well, then everything would be okay. I mean, yes, I did that terrible thing, but maybe if I hadn't, I wouldn't be where I was today. Or if I hadn't done that, I, I wouldn't have met so-and-so and impacted their life. And Try to justify yourself that way. But that sort of speculation may suppress your guilt for a little while. But ultimately, you are still going to be haunted by what you've done. Speculation cannot wash away your sin. What you need is the stewardship from God that is by faith. You need to know God's plan to save sinners. At just the right time, God sent forth his son, Jesus, into the world. He was born of the Virgin Mary, fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life. He died as a perfect substitute for sinners, taking our guilt on himself. He was condemned for our sin in our place. He paid the full debt that we owed. And so now if you place your faith in Jesus, to save you from your sins, the promise of Romans 8.1 can be yours. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can be free from guilt. Not based on speculations, but based on God's perfect plan of salvation. Based on the redemption accomplished by the death of Jesus to be received by faith. You don't need speculations. You need the stewardship of God. Maybe today you are weary. You've been working hard, giving of yourself, doing everything you can to serve God and serve people, and you are exhausted. And you're wondering if you've even accomplished anything. And then imagine... You came in like that today, and all I had to offer you were speculations. I could tell you some fantastic stories, share some of my ideas. The guy who tried to do the light, the light switch without the uh, breaker turning off. I could tell you what I, I think God may have in mind based on my spiritual proclivities. Uh, I, I could make some promises that I can't really keep. What, what would that do to you? I mean, maybe if I'm really good, I could stir up some happy emotions that would last like until you got to your car in the parking lot. But tomorrow morning, you would wake up with that same empty tank. What you need is the stewardship from God that is by faith. 
you need to know that God has a plan of redemption that he has told us about in his word. He promises in Romans 8, 28 and 29, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Whatever is going on in your life, if your faith is in Christ, you can be certain that nothing is wasted. God has a purpose. He is working all things together to make you like Jesus. Even if you see no reward in this life, even if you never get to see results of your labor in this life, you can be sure that God's plan is that one day you will be raised with Christ to an eternal reward. And that's what prompts Paul to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If all you have is speculation, your labor is in vain. If all your hope is in a result in this life, your labor is in vain. But in the Lord, through faith in the resurrected and soon returning Lord Jesus, you can know that your labor is not in vain. You need the stewardship from God, not speculations. Maybe you or a loved one are facing danger or sickness and you want an outcome of safety and health but the future is uncertain i could speculate to make you feel better i could tell you you're going to get what you want if you just have enough faith i could tell you that i've seen people in this situation and it's got better for them you could speculate to make yourself feel better. You could tell yourself everything is going to be okay. You could say, well, this or that happened, and I think that's a sign that everything is going to work out. But at the end of the day, such speculation cannot give you the hope that you so desperately need. What you need is the stewardship from God that is by faith. God doesn't promise that we will escape all danger. God doesn't promise that we'll always be healed of every disease. But what he does promise is that he will make all things new. He promises that he will create a new heavens and a new earth. And Revelation 21, 4 says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. If you place your faith in Jesus, this is the future that awaits you. In God's perfect plan for history. This is what can calm your fear in the face of danger. This is what can give you peace in the face of sickness. And this is what can give you hope even in the face of death. We need the stewardship of God. His plan of salvation revealed through 
Scripture, revealed through his apostles. When Jesus was about to be born, the angel said, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Before Jesus ascended, he said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. The apostles proclaimed salvation in Jesus on street corners and in prison cells. They proclaimed salvation in Jesus to Jews and to Gentiles. They proclaimed salvation in Jesus to outcasts and to kings. The apostles wrote to churches, and when a church needed an introduction to Jesus, they preached the gospel. When a church needed sin corrected, they preached the gospel. When a church needed comfort in suffering, they preached the gospel. When a church needed hope for the future, they preached the gospel. When a young minister needed courage to carry out his duty, Paul preached the gospel. And when John saw a revelation of the future, he heard Jesus say, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. He heard the angels cry, worthy is the lamb who was slain. He heard salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. He heard they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. In every area, in every culture, in every circumstance, you need the redemption that is found in Jesus. So leave behind the speculative and cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves us from our sin, the gospel that will bring us safely home. First Timothy calls us to devote ourselves to the doctrine that comes from God. And we've looked at one aspect of what that means today. We need to reject the speculative for the saving and we'll consider more about what it means to devote ourselves to the doctrine that comes from God next week. But today, we're going to respond to what we've heard in God's word by worshiping through the Lord's Supper. At the Lord's table, we celebrate the stewardship from God, which is by faith. God's plan to save sinners, his deliverance of his people, his plan of redemption for all of history. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance given by Jesus at his last supper. We eat bread that symbolizes his body broken for us. Uh, we drink of the fruit of the vine, which symbolizes his blood, which, uh, with which he made a new everlasting covenant, promising us salvation by grace through faith. Uh, when we take the Lord's Supper, we do a number of things. According to Scripture, we remember what Jesus did to accomplish redemption, how God's purposes of redemption were fulfilled in Christ. We participate in the body and blood, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, meaning that we renew our faith in Christ alone to save us from our sin and make us right with God. Uh, the Bible says that we commune. Uh, we commune with Jesus who promised to be with us always till the end of the age. And we also commune with one another because Paul says that um, in 1 Corinthians 10, we who are many are one body because we partake of the one bread. 
at the table, we also proclaim the Lord's death. Uh, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, we declare that it is God's plan of redemption in Christ Jesus that the world needs more than any of the best speculations. And, and finally, we anticipate the day when God's purposes and plans come to their full consummation when we get to feast with Jesus in person when he comes. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 29, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We drink today in hope that God's plan of salvation that he is working out today will be completed. This sacred time at the Lord's table is for believers, those who have placed their faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus to save them from their sins. And so if you are not yet a believer, uh, we would ask you to refrain from partaking until you come to faith in Christ and instead use this time to consider uh, the, the redemption that we've been talking about, the, the fact that you can be free from condemnation and free from guilt and know Christ as your Lord and Savior. We would encourage those of you who are believers to examine your hearts so that you may partake in a worthy manner if your heart is harboring unrepentant sin that you're not willing to let go of, uh, we would ask that you refrain at this time until you're able to come freely to partake. But if you are a member of the body of Christ, Jesus invites you to his table. Uh, this is a meal that's not just for our local body, but for the global body of Christ. And so if you're a baptized member of a gospel-preaching church in good standing, we would love to invite you to come and share with us uh, in the Lord's Supper. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing a song. And during that time, as you're ready, you can come and receive the elements from the table. And then uh, we'd ask that you take them back to your seat and hold on to them uh, so that we can all partake together after everyone has been served. Let's pray together. Father, as we approach the table, I ask that you would give us um, a profound realization of the stewardship, the stewardship that is of you and that is by faith, Lord, the, the plan that you have been working out since before creation and, and that you will bring to a conclusion when Jesus returns. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would remind us, even as we take of this bread and cup, that what we need in every era, in every culture, in every circumstance is what Christ has purchased for us through his broken body and his shed blood. Lord, I pray that even as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, Lord, that we would do so uh, in such a way that this symbolizes our faith in your plan of redemption. That we, you would renew our faith and our confidence in the gospel. That we would renew our faith and, and confidence in your redemption. The redemption you've already worked in Christ. The forgiveness you've already purchased. But Lord, also the redemption that you are working as you continue to save us and you bring us safely home. 
Uh, Lord, I, I pray that we would delight in the gospel. Lord, your word tells us in Galatians that there is no other gospel. There is no different gospel. And so, Lord, would you renew our faith in your grace alone as we partake in the sacred meal together.